0: We're in week three of our Who's Your One series. I bring this over to remind you what I'm asking of you in this series. is to pick one person that you'll pray for, that you'll invite, and that you'll share the gospel with. I had a person ask me this last week, I have more than one person, is it okay for me to put two names on the board? Of course it's okay for you to have more than one person. But I am asking everyone here to focus on at least one. I want you to pray for 30 days. I provided a a guide for you that will help you pray for them 30 days. If you need that uh, help, uh, there's a bookmark that will help you in reading to know how you can uh, uh, specifically pray Scripture for your one. Uh, There's some at uh, at the table over here. There's uh, some in the back, and you can get those if you need those. Uh, You can start tomorrow praying for your one. Then I would encourage you to invite your one either to your home or to church. Uh, invite them so that they can spend time with you as a believer uh, in your home, understanding kind of what a, what Christians are, are, are like when they're uh, at, at home and with their families. Or bring them to church and see what it's like for a community of Christians to gather together. Uh, and then I've invited, uh, encouraged you uh, to uh, share the gospel uh, with your with your one. Now, I put the board up here again today. You can uh, use a black marker, put their initials. This is my person's initials here. Uh, I've invited them to church already. This week, on Tuesday, I'm going to be talking with them, uh, and I hope to be sharing the gospel with them this Tuesday. We've got a lunch appointment this week, and I'm hoping to share uh, the gospel with them, and I hope next week I can come and circle it in red when I've shared the gospel. But I encourage you to do this. We have almost 200 names now Uh, On our board, we have about 850 to 900 people sitting in here, a little over 1,000 today with our adults and children. I hope that we can have about 700 people that we're praying for. Some of you, I, I, I ask you to simply pray. That's all I'm asking you to do. Step one, at least pray. Everyone here can do that and ask God to do a miracle in their friends' or family members' lives. Now, this series is three part. Uh, uh thus far, the first week, we talked about how every disciple uh, should, should be bringing people to Jesus. Uh, we're all called to be fishers of men. We're all called to make disciples. Uh, but, but Jesus reminded the uh, first apostles that that, that that starts at home. You're to be my witnesses. I think I had that scripture up there just a second ago. You're to be my witnesses in Judea. Uh, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But you start where you're at in Jerusalem. You start at home. Uh, We talked about last week how you're responsible for your network. Uh, You can't wait for the church to to share for you. You need to take responsibility for your network uh, and their hearing about Jesus. You may be the only Christian in your network. Uh, the only person that your friend sees or knows, but my guess is you're not. But you may be the only one willing to share the gospel with them. So I encourage you to take responsibility. Today we're going to focus on the third thing, and that is uh, the, why it's a big deal for you to share uh, with, with your network. Turn to Luke 15. Let's dive right in today. Briefly, uh, we touched on this passage a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to make it our main focus this morning. Jesus and His disciples have been busy sharing the good news of the kingdom with the people of Israel. They've traveled all over Palestine, and several people are now following Jesus. And His disciples were an eclectic group. They were fishermen and revolutionaries. They were sinners and tax collectors. And they took it to heart that they were to be fishers of men. And they went out, and they started actively and aggressively sharing their faith. And they were constantly bringing people to Jesus, but they weren't necessarily the church crowd. In fact, they were the opposite of the church crowd, so much so that the church crowd started looking at Jesus' crowds, uh, crowd, and, and they said, tax collectors and sinners, they're the ones listening to him. What kind of man is this if he welcomes sinners and eats with them? If you're so religious, Jesus, why do you hang out with lowlifes? And Jesus answers their question with three parables. And he explains that his main mission is driven by seeking the lost. Now, this, the, the, these parables that he shares are really, really familiar. And so I'm not going to spend a ton of time explaining them today. Uh, but the first parable is about a shepherd with straying sheep. Verse 4 says, What man among you who has a sheep who goes astray doesn't leave the ninety-nine and go find the one? You know, the question I've always had as I read this parable is why did the sheep get lost? I don't know why that's always popped into my mind. Why did the sheep get lost? Maybe he was just dumb, you know, that. and they say sheep are dumb, and maybe he just didn't watch what was going on around him, and he just strayed away. Or maybe he was mischievous. You know, from where I'm from, it's mischievous, but I was told this week that's wrong. So anyhow... Maybe he was just mischievous, you know, and and he was just like, hey, I'm going to go over here. The shepherd wants me to come, but I'm going to go do my own thing. Maybe that's what it was, or or, or 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 I don't know. Maybe maybe shepherding is just like cat herding, you know, and it's just hard to keep them all in line. Uh, want, our children's choir is singing tonight at five thirty, and if you have time tonight to come and support them, please do. Uh, they work so hard, and it is always excellent not just good not just cute it's always excellent i'd love for you to be here tonight at five thirty as they share but they were practicing yesterday and i guess they were making their way from the dressing room to the to the to the stage or vice versa and i saw one of the leaders and they had that look on their face and i said you okay and they said i always stress in this moment that i'm going to lose one yeah, I, I get that. Our youth ministers, Joe, uh, uh, I, I feel for you. Wherever you are, I think you're in here somewhere. But wherever you are, I know it's hard to uh, 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 it's hard to keep up. How many of y'all have been on ten trips with youth groups through your through your time? Ten trips. Oh, I see adults, some teenagers here. A lot of you have been. Uh, any of y'all ever got lost on a trip? Never got lost? Well, when I was uh, in high school, uh, my pastor, it was, I guess this was 1986, we were going to the Youth Evangelism Conference in Louisville. And my pastor took about eight of us from this little country church in Henderson, Kentucky, in two cars. We caravaned to Louisville, back before GPS's, and you had to know where you were going. And we went to the seminary, and after we finished, we were driving home to western Kentucky, and we were on I-64, where I-65 and I-64 connect. Well, we lost the car behind us. And my pastor freaked out because he didn't think they were able to make it home. And if you knew the people in that car, he was probably right. But anyhow, he panicked, and he didn't know what to do. So he got off, he drove, I don't know what he was thinking, but he drove around the cloverleaf, got back up on I-64 and 65 and started driving around like he was going to find them. He was concerned that they weren't going to make it home and he knew we needed to try to flag them down. So, (laughs) true story, he put me and a a talkative kid, (laughs) I wasn't that guy, He put me and a really talkative young man out on the side of the road and said, y'all wait here and flag them down. (laughs) At the intersection of I-65 and I-64. So here we are, two teenage boys sitting on a guardrail waving at folks. (laughs) I know Joe, he would never do that. So it's safe to let your kids go with us. I don't know why this sheep got lost, but or why he got separated, but here's what I learned that day. Good shepherds search for their sheep, but they do not put teenagers out on a curb. But this shepherd, he, he sees that he's lost one, and he, he goes into the open field, Uh, Leaves the 99 in the open field and goes after the lost one until he finds it. But when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says to them, rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. The second parable he tells is about a woman with a lost coin. Uh, He continues, what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. You know, that's a strange thought to me. Because if I lose a coin between the seat and my you know, place in my car where I keep my change, oh well. That's what I think. I can't imagine working this diligently uh, for a coin. But if you can't imagine this, teenagers, imagine that you lose your iPhone. Okay, she lost something of incredible value to her. Uh, I, I, I want to tell you, that'll get a teenage boy to clean his room, right? The third... <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, oh well, they don't always work. <laughs> the, lady, the lady finds the coin. She, she calls her, woman, uh, her women friends and her neighbors together and she says, rejoice with me. Because I found the silver coin, I lost. We continue on, and he tells the most familiar of the stories, the parable of the lost son. It's the story of a spoiled child of a wealthy dad. He was entitled so much so that he asked his dad for his inheritance early so he could move on with his life. And He takes the money that his father gives him, and he blows it partying. Desperate, broken. Finally, at the point of starvation, he realized his life at his dad's house was not so bad. So he makes his way back home, and he, he goes back to his father. But while his son still a, a ways off, the father sees him. And he, 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 he ran to him threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him and welcomed him home. Now, the point of this parable is clear. It shows that Jesus loves lost people. He loves them where they are. He loves them whatever they've gone through. Or what they're going through. And if God loves lost people in such a way, so should we. Uh, there's so many rich themes in chapter 15 of Luke. God searches for the lost. God risks for the lost. He, he values the one who's gone astray. God's patient with those who, who, who have made bad decisions. But one theme that also comes across in this passage is that God values one. The shepherd leaves 99 because he valued one. The woman searched diligently because she valued one. Every single one is significant to God. I don't know about you, but in many areas of life, the number one can seem so insignificant. If I see a penny on the ground, it's not worth bending over and getting it. Is it? It's just one. You know, would you really drive all the way down to Disney World to ride one ride? You know, It's just one. You know, if eating a cookie's not worth it unless you eat more than one, right? We but I, I get it, but when it comes to a soul, heaven becomes State Street minus burning couches and alcohol when one comes home, right? When one comes home, heaven rejoices. Heaven celebrates. Verse 7. After the sheep uh, uh, is returned, uh, the shepherd comes with joy. And Jesus says, I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Repentance. That's what brings heaven to its feet. That's where real applause is found. When the coin is, is, is found by the woman, he, he says, I tell you, in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. That's where joy is found in heaven. That's what makes God celebrate. And if God cares most about lost souls, and even one saved causes heaven to stop and rejoice, then the restoration of one is worthy of sacrificing our comfort, sacrificing our security, giving our effort, and investing emotionally in our one. I I hope that you've taken this seriously. I've prayed every day for my one, multiple times. I... Now, when I talk to him, I'm not talking to him as just a person who's coming and working in our building. I'm talking to him as a person who I've started to desperately care about because I want to see him come to faith in Christ. And what concerns me is we can have believers who sit week after week in services, and go out into their communities and are doing well because the the benevolent God of the universe has allowed you to do well. He's done so much for you, and you can go out of here and not care about others who He loves desperately. Oh, may heaven help us if our hearts don't break over the ones, over our ones. I know in asking you to pick one, to pray for your one for 30 days, if you do that, you're going to be emotionally invested. And if they come to Christ, you're going to be overjoyed. And until they do, you're going to be heartbroken. I've already seen several tears of people who come up to me and say, Pastor, I've been praying for my one for years. That's what happens whenever you love somebody. You're emotionally invested. You care. And it may take some effort to have people over to your house or invite them to church. And if you share the gospel with someone known for, that you've known for a significant amount of time, you'll probably be somewhat uncomfortable. But I want to tell you, it's worth it. And it's worth sharing with you one for several reasons. Let me give you five quickly today. Number one, it's worth it because everybody is broken because of sin. We live in a messed up world. There were three school shootings in the last 11 days. It's a messed up world. There's confusion over gender identity. There's hate because of skin color. We live in a messed up world. You know, when people see these shootings and such hatred in our world, if there's a God, why why would there be so much evil, people ask? Well, I want to tell you, it's not on God. God designed us to live in harmony with Him which would have allowed us to live in harmony with one another. The psalmist said, it was you who created us. You created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this well. He made us perfect. He made us good. But every man, woman, and child has departed from God's design. All have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And sin always causes brokenness. It always messes things up. You see the effects of sin and abuse and greed and racism and fighting and political wrangling. And it's easy to see external brokenness. But brokenness is often internalized. I want to go off script for a second here and say some of you come in and you smile and you do the everything's fine thing every week. And if people were to follow you around, it would probably look fine. You know, you got your house, you got your car, you got your job, you got your circle of friends, but then you go home at night and you know what sin does guilt and shame, internal emptiness, restlessness of not knowing why you're here or what life's all about and wondering uh, what what purpose uh, you have. Sin leaves us that way, this is not just you, you're not just messed up, it's everybody who's messed up. You you might be in one of those situations where everything's falling apart around you, maybe you are, but don't feel like you're on an island and nobody else is messed up, they're just falling apart on the inside. Their their building is crumbling from the inside out, but I assure you, every person here shares this common denominator. When we're alone and all by ourselves, sin leaves us in a mess. But praise the Lord that God did not leave us in a mess. We were without hope and without solution, but He sent His Son to be a solution for us to take on the wrath of sin and to repair the brokenness of sin, to take that marred image which He had placed within us that was good and and we were fearfully and wonderfully made, but we messed it up. And He takes what's remaining of that image and He restores it through the person of Christ. And we can become a person with peace and contentment, a person of joy and hope, a person who can experience life the way God intended Christ is the answer to man's problem. Number two, everyone will spend eternity somewhere. The reason I care about this board and the reason I care about you having someone in your heart that you're praying for and actively seeking for them to come to Christ is because everybody is going to spend forever somewhere. Jesus taught that we don't just live on earth and then emptiness. He taught about the endurance of the soul. He taught of eternal life. He taught that the one who believes in him, though they may die, yet shall they live. He taught that every human being was made to last. And when you realize that you were made to last, you start thinking about yourself and you live life differently. My daughter, Karis, shares a little bit of my humor. You can tell that a little bit uh she's the be warm be filled be gone girl today you probably figured that out you might not know that my daughter karis is a planner uh she'll go on a road trip and she can tell you within minutes of how long it will take her to be there if she's going to be wrong she's going to speed up or slow down she plans her day out meticulously she has uh, uh, she makes a to-do list for her to to do her to-do list. You know, that's she is a, a planner. I wonder how many of you are like that. Would you admit that you're a planner? Okay, proudly I'm a planner. I get, I get it done. I'm a planner. How many of you have your one year planned out? Any of you got a one year plan? Man, I do. I know what I'm... There's one. I, I know what I'm preaching every week for the rest of the year. I've got, you know, Lord willing, I've got kind of where I'm going on vacations, where I'm going to go on the Sundays I'm off. I've got my plan. But do any of you have a five-year plan? Maybe it's higher level, but you have a high five-year plan? Okay, I see one. Anybody got ten... There's another one. Anybody got a 10,000-year plan? Yeah, hey, amen. Yeah, that's right. God's got a 10,000-year plan for everybody's life. God... uh, wants all of you to live forever with Him. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. I want to take you to a passage in John chapter 5 real quickly that explains something. Jesus said, Anyone who hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. Praise God. And he will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. I assure you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Verse 26, For just as the Father has life in Himself, so also He has granted to the Son to have life in Himself. And He has granted Him the right to pass judgment because He's the Son of Man. And He taught this is not only the case for believers that they will have life, but he also says that unbelievers will also face judgment and live after that. Notice what he says in verse 28. Don't be amazed at this because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. This is Jesus speaking. All who are in the graves will hear his voice. And they'll come out, those who have done good things, to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil things, to the resurrection of judgment. Here he's talking about the resurrection of the physical body. We are physical and spiritual beings. And when someone dies, immediately their body and soul separate. And their soul is in the presence of the Lord facing judgment. Those who are covered in Christ have salvation because they will be seen as righteous. We're all guilty of doing wrong and wicked deeds. But being covered by Christ ensures our righteousness. Those separated from Christ will be eternally, eternally punished in a place called hell. Now, to be honest, talking about hell makes us squeamish. It does me. I don't like the thought of being, uh, people being placed in uh, eternal punishment. I, I can't even fathom that concept completely. But the Bible says there's a place of punishment where people who do not know God will live forever. And some say this is the invention of the church. And by the way, let's just talk real here because that's, that's the, the way a lot of people just dismiss our, our, our faith as well. That's just the invention of the church. I choose not to live by the dictates of the church, but I choose to live by the letters in red. Doesn't that sound cool? Y'all, I mean, uh, in, 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 those of y'all who like country music, when you hear something like that in a country song, it even makes your heart kind of warm. Let me tell you a little something about the words in red. Paul mentions hell one time. You know who talked about hell constantly? The one who knew what eternity was like. The Son of God who came from heaven to earth, who understood what it was like. Jesus was the one who spoke the most about hell. It is reality, but here's what I found. People can get so caught up in the reality of hell, they miss the clear message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is not that God's in heaven saying, oh, I get to fry some people. I want to tell you, that's not the message of the Bible. That's the message of a mixed up world who thinks that God is is evil. The message of the Bible is that man is sinful and because of their sin has chosen to separate themselves from God and and rightfully deserves hell. But the message of the Bible is that there is a God in heaven who does not want you to go there. He loves you completely. And He does not want you to be separated from Him. A friend this week, their son was graduating. He said, man, I did my best. I hope my child's ready for the world. Man, it's an exciting day when graduation happens. But parents, don't see your job as getting your child ready for life after your house. See your job as getting your child ready for all eternity. Everybody lives forever somewhere. Everybody. Everybody. Number three. Everyone is loved by God. The story of the prodigal is that there's this father who waits and longs for the return of his child. Verse 20, He he the son gets up and goes to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, maybe it was coincidence. Maybe the father was just out working in the field and saw him. Maybe. Maybe, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, he... he He had routines and he was like checking the mail each day or something. And oh, there's my son. I like to think that every day he went out and looked and longed for his son to come home. The reason I think this is probably the case is because he ran, he threw his arms around his neck, he kissed him and embraced him, and he already had a party planned, didn't he? What'd he say? Go and get the fatted calf. Go, go get the, 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 the sandals that are already fitted for my son. Go get the robe that's the right size. Go get the ring that I know will fit on his finger. Go get those things for my son which is lost is found. The one who's dead is alive. Let us celebrate. Sinners and tax collectors were coming to Jesus and each one of them were loved. And your one is loved by God. Deeply loved by God. I think people can get confused as to why we come to Jesus. I don't just come to Jesus out of fear for hell when I die. That is reason enough. But I come to Jesus because He loved me. Dying, He loved me. Buried, He carried my sins far away. And freely he justified me forever. And I'm going to meet him one glorious day. He loves me and that makes me love him. You see, I, I want. I, if I could proclaim this from the top of this roof, I would proclaim it. People think that we're just here trying to scare people or we're just here trying to tell people to you need to run away from hell and run away from sin, and, and that, is, that, that is a part of it. But I'm not just saved from something in my rearview mirror. I'm saved towards something that is in front of me. I've got this great God with loving arms who's calling me home and who is waiting for me there. I want people to know I've got a God who loves me intimately. And I want them to know they can experience new life. They can have hope that never fades. They can have peace that lasts. They can have a joy of knowing the Lord. I love how Jesus describes knowing God and His kingdom. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's buried in a field. And a man stumbles across it and finds it. But then he reburies it. And he goes and he sells everything that he's got and he goes back and he purchases that field and then the treasure is his own. Everything that he had was not worth the treasure that he had found. I I hate to admit this because it shows how big a nerd I am or how gullible I am one or the other. But I watch treasure hunting shows on TV. I watch The Curse of Oak Island and they still had not found anything after eight seasons, and I keep thinking this week they're going to. No, they're not. <laughs> but I keep watching it because I like the hunt. I, I, now I watch Civil War Gold, and I, you know, I mean, I watch that too. They're going to find that, you know. Uh, but what I like about this show is there are people who are consumed with finding a treasure. In, in that way, life is like a treasure hunt. People are constantly looking for value add. Graduating seniors, you're heading off into a world that's going to give you opportunities that you may or may not have had before, and I guarantee you, you're going to be afforded chances to chase different treasures. That's reality. There's only one treasure that will last. The things of this world... Diminishing value, there is one treasure that lasts. Only Christ. This is the reason I want my one to come to Christ. I want him to find what I've found. I want him to find a treasure that seems more valuable to me today than the day I first believed. I'd like to say that, man, I'm just perfect and it's so much better and I'm such a better person. Sometimes... I think that's true. But every day Jesus has proven just as valuable, if not more so. Every day He has proven that to me. When I fail, He's still upright. When I am down, He still has a word of hope for me. When I feel empty, when I turn to Him, He can still satisfy my soul. And when I sing of His of, of, of his overcoming, I know it will be true of me. Here's why I want you to share with your one. Everybody's broken. Everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. Everybody's loved by God. Everybody can experience, experience new life. But I also want you to share Jesus with your one because everyone gets to heaven the same way. Yesterday, I got to talk with a Hindu lady. We were talking about something that happened in friends' and family's lives. And I was sharing with her about faith, and she hit the pause button and said, I am Hindu. I believe that all gods are right. There's really only one. We just call them by a different name. We try hard to make him happy. All world religions lead to the same place. Work hard and earn your way. Many people in your network believe that. They have similar thoughts. If they believe in God, they believe that you should live good and make Him happy and you'll go to heaven. I want you to understand clearly today, good people don't go to heaven. Period. Forgiven people go to heaven. So so in this way, the Who's Your One campaign, I'm not asking you to pray for your one to become a better person. I want you to pray for your one, that they would believe the gospel of Jesus, that God sent His Son to earth, that He came to give His life for your sins and their sins, and that He died for those who would believe in Him and He rose from the dead. And if they will believe in Him, They can have everlasting life. And Jesus was clear. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. So it does matter if our one has faith. So I'm praying for my one. I'm inviting my one. And Lord willing, I'm going to be able to share the gospel with my one this week. I hope you'll do the same. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word and the opportunity to share it. I pray, God, that you would use this time to bring glory to your name. Use this time of praying intently for our one to bring salvation to many. God, I even pray today, Lord, that the people who are not saved today, they would be. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you're here today and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to come as we stand and sing. If you're here today and you've never been baptized, I'd love for you to come. Let's stand together. If you're here today and you'd like to join our church, you can come. If you're here today and you want to pray for your one at the altar, you can come. If God speaks to you, won't you come right now?